You are listening to Everyday Global Anglicans, a podcast produced by GAFCON, Global Anglican Future Conference. This podcast and other resources are made possible by people like you. Please help us to continue making these resources available by visiting us at gafcon.org. GAFCON's mission is to guard the unchanging, transforming gospel of Jesus Christ and to proclaim him to the world. Hello, my name is Ernie Dito, and I'm the communications director for GAFCON and the regular host for Everyday Global Anglicans. And it's my privilege to welcome Melvin Tinker with us today. He has contributed to GAFCON's devotionals, Lift Up Your Hearts, for the month of April. The focus of the devotionals is how the book of Revelations demonstrates a vision of the triune glory of God. I've read through them all, and it was thoroughly edifying the experience for me. And to read them, I mean, he brilliantly shows how Revelations serves as a map to guide our way into greater delight in the triune God. Melvin is the Director of Theology of the Christ Church Network of Anglican Churches in Hull, Yorkshire. He was the vicar of St. John Newland Hull for 26 years before leaving the Church of England with his congregation of over 500 to form this new network, which belongs to AMIE. He reads theology at Oxford University. He is the author of over 70 published articles on theology and ethics. And he is also the author of over 15 books, included Intended for Good, The Doctrine of Providence, Veiled in Flesh, The Incarnation, What It Means and Why It Matters, That Hideous Strength, How the West Was Lost, The Cancer of Cultural Marxism, and more recently, The First and the Last, The Comfort of the Triune God in Revelation. Melvin is married to Heather, and they have three grown-up sons and eight children. Welcome, Melvin. Thank you for joining us. You know, this might be a dumb Yankee question, uh, but what does it exactly mean to read theology at Oxford University? Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading theology uh, at Oxford. It's a, it's a great university and the atmosphere and everything is so conducive uh, to, um, to study, to academic study. And, uh, and some first-rate uh, lecturers were there, teachers at the time. Um, now, the thing is, I uh, read theology there. It was a, a three-year course, but I did it in two years uh, because I was already a graduate from another university. So it was a bit like, uh, I don't know, so the, the theological equivalent of, of uh, the Green Berets uh, because you had to cram three years' worth in two years. So it was very intense. Um, and the way in which uh, the, they primarily, primarily teach at, at Oxford is not so much through lectures, there are lectures, but uh, what they call tutorials. And the tutorials are one-to-one. -one. So it's mm -hmm. you and your professor. Okay. And you have to read out an essay that he set you, and then you debate it. And uh, the thing is, I thought, well, if I come out of this intact, then... Uh, you're not afraid of debating with anyone because you're debating with the greatest minds in wow. the world. <laughs> right. right. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, it was a matter of going deep and uh, it was challenging. Uh, certainly wasn't all conservative theology, mm. uh, but it was pretty well back in those days, it was thoroughly biblical. It was very biblically based. So it was a great time. Reading means studying. 
Reading means studying. Yeah, okay. that's right. Okay. You say you read theology. It sounds very grand. It's like, oh, wow, you read theology. Well, that's good. <laughs> I read a book. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And so now you are an author of, of a lot. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a robust uh, list that you have, and uh, we will include that on, on, the, uh, on the podcast link or the video that we, that we share. Um, and you have contributed You've drawn from one of those books for their contributions to lift up your hearts. We are so grateful for that and what you're doing. And personally, I've been edified, as I have mentioned. And, uh, but, you know, you're drawing from Revelations, the book of Revelations. And first of all, is it as exciting the book that you wrote from as, as, as Timothy LaHaye's Left Behind or... <laughs> anything like that would it would it would it be rude to me to say the only thing timothy lahey's left behind is the is the bible but um that's great <laughs> not not at all um oh. the thing is pe people are afraid of of the book of revelation yeah uh, not least because um of the strange imagery the type of literature it is which we're not familiar with called apocalyptic of course, in the Apostle John's day, people were used to that, um, that uh, genre and, uh, and therefore would have picked up on, on many of the images straight away. And most of the images anyway come from the, from the Old Testament. Um, and so it's not so much a, 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 um, a sort of code which we've got to decipher, um, but right, it's a drama which we're involved in. Mm. And, and the drama, of course, centers upon uh, the, 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 the victorious one is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one I, one that, uh, I mainly um, focused on in writing my book, the first and the last, was drawing comfort from the doctrine of the Trinity mm. in the book of Revelation. Mm. Uh, because it's been uh, argued, uh, I think quite um, cogently, that the book of Revelation contains the highest developed doctrine of the Trinity in the Bible. Mm. Um, and, it, and it is there, of course, couched in apocalyptic, metaphorical terms, but it clearly is there we're right, right at the very beginning, chapter one. So we're talking about God the Father through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, addressing his weary people on earth. And, and at the end, we're all, you know, right at the end, 21, 22, uh, we're talking about the redeemed all caught up in the presence of the Trinity forever, enjoying the blessing of the Trinity. And, um, and certainly in the book, one of, one of the authors I draw on quite a lot, actually, is uh, Jonathan Edwards. Um, and when you read Edwards, it's, it's, it's as if he's been to heaven and come back <laughs> the way he describes it. Uh, and it's just, it's absolutely wonderful. There's so much symbolism. There's so many ways to misinterpret. Was it intimidating? And I mean, yeah. And then, and then to, 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 okay, it's one thing to write a book, but then to write it, a devotional that devotionals, uh, I, I guess you could say by, by rule, they, they lend more to application and what does this mean for my daily life? And, and mm. how do you bridge that? What is, what would you say to that? I, I tend to avoid the term application um, mm. 
either in terms of preaching, and I'm mainly a preacher actually than, than a writer, but I yeah. do write, but I'm mainly a preacher. Um, and I think the better term to use is engagement. Mm. That we're, when, when we turn to the word of God, we're actually engaging with God himself or God is engaging with us. Mm. The problem when one starts to use the term application, A, it tends to be rather self-centered. How does this apply to me and to my right. situation? Um, it then tends to work out in, in pretty, pretty well preconceived ideas, well, we should be praying more, we should be giving more, we should be evangelizing more mm. and, and so on. But when we're talking about engagement, we then allow the text to be king, the, the text to determine how we are meant to respond to it. And sometimes the, the application, if you like, is simply worship, mm. uh, that one falls down before this great and glorious God in absolute adoration. And if you like, if you, if you call adoration application, then I'm okay with that. But I think of our better term, broader term, uh, is engagement, engagement with God. Hmm. There's a lot of directions I can go on that, but there's so much symbolism. I agree. I, I like, thank you for correcting me. Cause I actually, yes, I, I like that a lot. Engagement. They, uh, hmm. there's so many directions you could go in and there's so much symbolism and people misinterpret it in so many different ways. The locusts mean helicopters and the, this and that. I mean, there's just so much, hmm. um, but that you do, but you don't shy away from that. Uh, and one that one that I've heard quite a bit of misinterpretation, which was very helpful for me to hear and see, was uh, you the references to the number seven, uh, references to the number four, um, and in particular, what since you are you are you are drawing a, a, a relation to the or showing how it reveals the triune God, the Trinity. Well, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you refer to often and is, is spoken of, but as seven spirits instead of one. Mm. You know, the common per what seven three what what can how what is how does tease that out for us? Yeah, sure. Um, I think there's a there's a distinction got to be made between reading the Bible literally and reading the Bible Bible literary in a literary way. Mm. And this is where one has to be sensitive to the genre mm. that we're dealing with. So the book of Revelation, you, you know, even if you just say to turn to, to that glorious chapter, chapter, chapter four, and you have the description of uh, the throne, which is at the center of the universe and the one seated on the throne. And the description given is always in, the t in terms of the likeness of the appearance of God is never God, the father has uh, never described um, directly, this is it. It's always in the likeness of the appearance. Mm -hmm. And for two reasons, one, because God is spirit and therefore can't be visualized in that way. Uh, and, uh, and secondly, you know, he's, he's, he's infinite. And mm -hmm. therefore one's got to be using metaphorical uh, and simile in order to describe the indescribable, mm -hmm. which is in a sense what most theological languages is anyway. Um, and, and therefore, um, one can't, as it were, take a photograph of, say, the, the, this, the, um, the throne in the center of the universe in, in chapter four, or as people have tried to do, to, to draw a painting, because some of the symbolism 
is it 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 changes so rapidly. In fact, the symbol it's much more of a moving painting and and much more in terms of almost surreal at times, uh, rather than some static photograph, which it would be if if we're talking in a literal way. But because it's not literal, it's literary. You've got to go with with the nature of the language, um, and just as if you like, when we try to, when we awake, we've had a, say, a vivid dream and we, and we awake and we try to describe it, we sometimes find ourselves involved in contradictions because we were here and yet we weren't there, we were somewhere else. Mm. Because it's a dream mm. and, and, you know, lots of things are coming up to the dream. Well, in many ways, what we have in the book of Revelation is dreamlike language. Mm. Um, and it's there um, primarily uh, to, to describe the indescribable and to create an effect in, in the hearts and minds of God's people. Mm. Um, to, to, yeah, so it's, it's much more, it is engaging the imagination, it's engaging the heart. Now, the trouble is we in the West tend to be fairly analytical, you know, the influence of the Enlightenment and, and, and modern science and, and so on. But that's not the only way we can think, and it's not the only way we should think. Uh, we need to be thinking much more deeply. So, um, so that's, you know, the nature of the language. And, and built into that um, is the use of not only uh, the use of colours and the use of numbers. Mm. And again, these would have been picked up quite easily uh, by the early church. So white, for instance, is the, uh, is the color of victory. Um, if you were in China, you, you, you wouldn't use white because white is the color of death. Different cultures have different um, symbolism relating, relating to color. Mm. Um, and, and then you know, think about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, one is sort of like a greenish color. Well, again, that's, that is the color of, of death. Okay. Um, and, and so similar with numbers. So seven is, mm -hmm. is taken as the, the number of completeness or wholeness or perfection. And so you have multiples of seven. Mm. Um, and that's you know, it's no coincidence that, again, in the book of Genesis, for instance, that uh, God created the world in seven days. And seven, that is, the, that is when everything was completeness, there's wholeness, everything is good and very good. So we've got to go with the symbolism. We've got to go with the keys that are actually given to us right. and not impose our own, uh, if you like, 21st century um, concepts uh, onto the Bible. We must allow the Bible or God to speak to us through the Bible, through the genre that he and his wisdom has given for the good of his people. Yeah, uh, the, there was the number four uh, four creatures are surrounding the lamb. The sacrifice. That, that's lamb. right. So it's it's the number of the world. You know the the the, cre the, the creation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's other other numbers. You know, obviously the six six six. Uh, I, I won't get into all the complications there because there you're dealing with what's called triangular numbers. But if oh. you buy the book, that explains it a, a little <laughs> bit more fully. Good. 
Well, yeah, and I don't I don't mean to bog down into that, but I just as more of an example by way of how you tease out these these symbolisms and and our, and, and being able to understand what it is we're dressing, uh, and 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 again always in a way that brings glory to the to the one who is at the center in the throne, um, yeah. and who. Uh, and I think if I could just put in there too, it's 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 very important uh, as we do with all, the whole of the Bible. Um, is to recognize that, as, as one scholar John Walton says, the Bible was written for us, but the Bible wasn't written to us. Mm. Um, so the, um, the book of Revelation, which is a letter, it's, it's a prophecy. It's, in fact, it, it falls into different genres, um, was, was written primarily to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Right. Uh, because you have the seven letters, for instance. So you've got a letter containing letters. Right. So there's a plurality there. And there are seven churches. So that, again, is, is not insignificant. So his, historically, primarily, it was addressed to them. But, not, uh, but it's not only for them. Mm. It's for the whole of God's people. And I think that, again, comes in with the symbolism of seven. So it's for the whole of God's people um, throughout the whole of the world, throughout the whole of time until Christ returns. You know, um, I was, one of your, one of your devotions, well, many of them stood out to me, but uh, one of them, devotion number six, um, you had, there's a quote, there's so many quotes. One of them, the closer you get to God, the more praise there is. That That's an observation that you, that you see mm. through, through looking at, uh, revelations that worship is the great activity of heaven mm -hmm. and and you you nicely address the idea that well you know heaven is not just a casper convention in the sky uh, you know on, floating around on harps and, and um clouds but that it is a rich and full uh eternity mm -hmm. of consuming the and, and, and glorifying the uh, God and in all the many ways that it, it, it would be possible to share about that. I mean, it, it, how it touches, how it steers us towards what it, our imagination. Well, it, it, yeah. I mean, this is, um, is it, uh, you know, we talked about Oxford, of course, that, that was the home of C.S. Lewis for most of his academic career. Mm. And, um, and, and, and for Lewis, uh, the, the, the role of the imagination, as we know, was, was central and, and key to what it meant to be human, but also to, as it were, penetrate um, reality. And he, he spoke, didn't he, that uh, of ours living in the shadow lands. Now he's mm. drawing on imagery, mm. I think, from Plato. Um, but, but we tend to turn it the other way around, that this is this. This is the world of stuff and reality and space and time. This is the reality. This is the, this is the show. And for many contempor our contemporaries in the West, it's the only show in town uh, because there is no um, greater reality. There's nothing beyond what you can feel and touch and smell. Mm. Uh, and this is the process of secularization where religious ideas and symbols and institutions have been pushed further and further to the margins of society, uh, that they no longer have any really meaningful, powerful significance 
in society. It's less so in, in the United States than over here in England and, and Europe, but it's increasingly the case uh, with you now. Um, whereas the point of one of the main points of revelations, I understand it, is that, um, you know, well, literally the, the term revelation apocalypse means to have the curtain opened and, you know, that there is a door open and, and uh, John sees through this door. Um, and so we are, we discover that we don't live in a world without windows, as, as someone says. But actually, we're, we're, we, we, purse, we, we pierce, God in his kindness has enabled John in the spirit to pierce uh, the curtain, as it were, to see that behind this world, which we can see and touch and feel, is the ultimate reality, the ultimate reality being God mm. and the heavenly realities. And it also reminds us that we're involved in a spiritual battle. Yeah. It's a battle that's been won uh, by the, the lion who's the lamb, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but nonetheless, there is, there is an, uh, there's, a, there's an adversary at work. Paul talks about principalities and powers. And we've got to understand what is going on in the church and in the world in the light of that greater reality. If we don't, we're simply, well, we're, we're, we're groping around blind, you know, mm. um, and we're not availing ourselves of the revelation that God in his kindness has given. There are so many, so many symbolisms that you touch on throughout the series, and I'm very thankful for that. And I, uh, we could go on all day on, on those. The one that I, that concludes and is the most, the one that sticks with me the most is uh, the tree growing on each side of the river. Uh, what does that symbolism indicate? <laughs> well, it's the tree of life and, um, it, and, and the leaves of the healing of the nations. And of course, that takes us back to, to, to Genesis uh, and uh, where as the um, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden they were exiled and you had the cherubim placed by the uh, by the the gateway so they couldn't go back in mm. to to obtain the tree of um the tree of life um that was the judgment part of the judgment uh, here all that's reversed there's no longer any curse and um whereas we live in a world where um that there is division amongst the nations and there is pain and war that is symbolized there that's that is no longer the case um and the fact that there's the tree of life on both sides of the river yeah, yeah. um indicates that it is available to all so again this is the the nature of apocalyptic language mm. uh, that you can have a country i can have one tree singular tree of life right. on in two places at once mm. Well, again, you just got to get your head around the way in which this kind of literature works. And so that symbolizes, it seems to me, that is available for the healing of the nations, plural. It's available to all people, wherever they are in the new creation. Mm. And, and therefore, they will never forfeit the, the life which God uh, gives through his spirit, you know.
Well, about the spirit, uh, you, you, this is, you know, again, I think people shy from talking about the Holy Spirit or they go mm. in a, perhaps a radical direction. Um, but I love the way you address it head on. How does the spirit speak to us? And, and how does it, as it, as it seen through the revelations and then how does it speak to us today? Yeah. This is the engagement part of the discussion. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not the application. Well, uh, it's interesting how at the end of each letter to the, to the seven churches, it's um, that we're to <clears throat> hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. Uh, and what the Spirit is saying to the churches is what the risen, ascended Lord Jesus is saying to the churches then. Mm. He's saying to us now. Mm. So there's no division. It's not as if, um, uh, well, the, the way in which the Spirit speaks to the church today is through his scriptures that is inspired. That is the engagement. That's the application. Okay. So, um, and, and there will be different degrees to which um, the what is being spoken of in say the book of revelation will um will, will will be closer than at other times depending upon our circumstances what i mean is is this that there'll be some of our churches which will be more laodicean mm. and you'll be hopefully pick that up and say wow we've got to repent other churches would be more like Thyatira or Philadelphia. Uh, some churches will be going rather cold in that they will have lost their first. There will be some challenge, some correction, some exhortation, which will apply mm. to us. Mm. But um, there'll be certain circumstances, and, and of course, churches um, in different parts of the world um, and Gafcon, our, our Gafcon brothers and sisters in, for example, in Nigeria, um, where there's tremendous persecution going on. Mm -hmm. um, there, there'll, there'll be parts of the book of Revelation which will speak so in, with such immediacy yeah. into their suffering situation exactly. in contrast to some of us who are living in the West where it's fairly easy. Mm. So what is the Spirit saying to the churches today? What he said to the churches back then? To seven churches. To seven churches, yeah. 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 Which is the whole of the church because it's seven. Well, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's, yeah, they're complete. Um, well, we, we, we're not going to pretend that uh, 20 devotionals um, throughout the month of April are going to cover all the... All the details, but I can tell you that it, it, it will it will prompt you to want to read his book, the first and the last, by Melvin Tinker. And it is is it Ivy Press or who is that that published? It's uh, Evangelical Press. Evangelical Press. Evangelical Press, and it should be out at the end of April. Oh, so it isn't out yet. Okay. No, it's just uh, yeah, that's an advance uh, copy I sent on to you. There. Okay, very mm -hmm. good. And uh, we will I'll provide the link there on Amazon. Uh, where you'll be able to get a hold of that soon. This is great. Good timing then. That was not, not planned either. I mean, I was just out <laughs> no, of the clear blue there's, sky. There's providence for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, Melvin, besides writing books, 
mm-hmm. and and reading at, at Oxford. Well, let me ask you this. Do, when you read at Oxford, is it required to smoke a pipe like t- Lewis or uh, Tolkien? <laughs> well, the Inklings, you know, and yeah. <laughs> yes, and the um, Baby and the Child, that's where they used to meet, which was not too far from where I lived, actually. Okay. Uh, where, is it modeling um, that you're at? Or, or? No, I was at Wycliffe Hall Theological College. Wycliffe Hall. Okay. Mm, that's right. So what, you're a director of theology of the Christ Church Network of Anglican Churches in Hull, Yorkshire. That's what is it? What, oh, wow, that's a mouthful. What is it that keeps you busy? What is it you're doing? <laughs> well, um, until last summer, um, I was the uh, vicar of St. John Newland in Hull. Mm. And um, I, I've been there for 26 years as, as, the, as the vicar or rector. And uh, Hull itself is uh, one of the least churched cities in the United Kingdom, less than, well, something like 0.7% of the population of 250,000 attend church on a, on a Sunday. What percent again? 0.7. It's about the, the same as Japan. It is so low. Really? And under God, we were able to see that church grow to over 500, which is very large in United Kingdom terms, I can tell you. The, 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 for a normal Sunday in the Diocese of York, which is where we were, or we are, the, the, um, the sort of normal attendance is something like 25 on a Sunday. Wow. Many churches don't have any children at all. We had over a hundred on a Sunday. Um, so we were, we, we, you know, we broke the, the trend really went, uh, broke the trend. Um, and the diocese were, you know, they, they've been pretty well antagonistic most of the time and suddenly got worse and worse. Mm. Uh, and um, we could also see the way things were going. I was coming up to retirement 65 now although um i i could have gone on till i was 70 or 60 68 is proper retirement age but we saw the way things were going in the church of england um and it was quite clear that um when i retired the diocese would not replace me with someone of the same theological convictions it made that very clear mm. and so in order to protect the congregation we left mm. Mm. And so f- over 500 people left. Wow. We form three congregations now. Uh, and we belong, uh, said we form this um, network of Anglican churches. So we are Anglican. Part of AMIE. And we belong to AMI, yeah, mm-hmm. our Anglican Mission in England. Mm. Um, and so we've only been going since, um, uh, yeah, since uh, uh, July, basically. Oh, that's that's when we started. Three, so three. lost our building. Yeah, we, we had to leave the building. Which and we spent a lot uh, of money on that. <laughs> well, yeah. It, well, I mean, certainly, look, the, the beauty of the, uh, that is a huge loss. I can understand that pain. However, there's also a lot of fixing up to, constantly to do with them. Those old oh, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the Lord's been very good. And it, it, of course, we've had all the problems with, with COVID and the lockdowns mm. uh, and, and so on. Mm. Uh, and so yeah. um, my successor has uh, been working really hard at keeping people together and mm. having Zoom meetings. But also we, we've been able to meet socially distance and, and yeah. the like. Um, 
and uh, and so I've been given the title title director of theology. So that's not just an honorary title. I don't get paid because uh, okay. I've got a pension, um, but it will involve um, and just involve me teaching theology. So doing classes with with people, uh, training the staff, uh, writing, <laughs> right, uh, and uh, and speaking around the country and the world. Well, frees you up uh, and and be with your eight grandchildren. Eight grandchildren. That's right. That's a lot. That's yeah, a lot, of, a lot of babysitting, and then giving them back, <laughs> and then giving them back to the parents. And that, that, that's getting hard. That's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, I I think we'll we'll wrap it up with there. Thanking you so much for your time. And uh, is there a way that we are, do you do your own podcast, or is there a web page or website or anything like that? Um, well, we're working on it. So that's part of it. So if someone's uh, working on um, having a, a blog for me, you know, get, getting a blog going for me. So mm. that's where um, we'll be putting up articles um, um, and various other goodies, right. Um, right. talks and, and, and the like uh, on there. But if people want to follow things through, they just need to, um, look up the Christchurch Newland Network, and uh, and they'll get it. But uh, we, we haven't quite put up the we haven't put the um, uh, the blog up yet. But yeah. um, someone's working on that. Well, uh, certainly uh, people can begin to follow you through our the devotional series. It begins uh, on April first and follows through the month and weekdays. And you can uh, you can even hear an audio. You can subscribe to an audio podcast to hear Melvin uh, read. And of course, it'll be all the all that much better since it's an English accent. And um, <laughs> I was happy to hear that he was willing to do that as opposed to me because it sounds so much better. And so in any case, you could do that. You can also uh, subscribe on, online through GAFCON. And and just as a reminder that these these things do take effort and we would we would be grateful for your support as going forward and making these things happen because they're also translated into Spanish and Portuguese. We hope to one day do it in French and perhaps Swahili, um, but that is all available to you. And you can also get his book, The First and the Last, and that is available in Evangelical Press coming up in Mar April. And uh, you can attain, get the book there. But thank you so much for your time, Melvin. Uh, pleasure. Truly, we could dig for a long time. I have literally, I mean, I just scratched the surface with three, three of 20 questions. But uh, <laughs> um, I think people are going to have to go to your book and to the devotions to, to get more. Um, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Blessings to you. You have been listening to the Everyday Global Anglicans podcast produced by GAFCON. Please visit gafcon.org to learn more about the many resources and work of GAFCON as we proclaim Christ faithfully.